Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning. Good to see you all here. Got a beautiful day today. You know, it snowed yesterday. Isn't that amazing? Uh, actually, I think it was pretty stupid, actually. I just am really done with the snow. But anyway, <clears throat> nobody asked me on that stuff. But uh, today looks to be a beautiful, beautiful day. We're glad you're here. We had a great weekend here at Rockbrook. We did the Rockbrook Conference Friday night and uh, through the day on Saturday. And this sermon is actually the eighth message in that, uh, in that conference. So those of you who are at the conference, hopefully you got your notebooks or you can use your sermon outline. But we've been talking this weekend about the fact that God has uh, five purposes for your life. Uh, he uh, wants to give you a purpose to live for. That's evangelism. He wants to give you power to live on. That's worship. Uh, he wants to give you people to live with. That's fellowship. He wants to give you principles to live by. That's discipleship. And he wants to give you a profession to live out. And that's ministry. And so we've encouraged you this weekend to recognize those five purposes. And today I want to talk to you about uh, being the person that God uses to accomplish those purposes that he has for both your life and for the life of the church. Uh, I've got four things I want to share with you about the type of person that God uses. And the first is God uses the person who has a dream. Uh, you know, faith always starts with an idea, with a dream, a goal. In Christian terms, we often talk about a vision. You know, you hear from God. God gives you a vision of what it is that he wants you to do. And uh, nothing happens in life until someone starts dreaming. Think on your notes, I said nothing happens until someone starts leading. And that's true, but, you know, we lead out of our dreams. Uh, every accomplishment, whether it's the wheel, the light bulb, or the selfie stick, all started as a dream all started as an idea. And I want to challenge you to uh, just uh, dream some big dreams. Set some God-sized goals for your life. Have, have a great vision of what God wants to do in your life. And then commit the rest of your life to following and fulfilling that dream. You know, a lot of people lose their, their ability to dream. Life just kind of beats them down. And, and they lose their ability to set God-sized goals. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of things in life that you can delegate to other people. You know, if you're not good at something, uh, you know, you, you can delegate it to somebody else. You can, you know, ask somebody to do it, hire somebody to do it. You know, if you're not good at math, you can hire an accountant. If you're not good with machinery, you can hire a mechanic. You can delegate a lot of things in life. But one thing you cannot delegate is your faith in God. You cannot ask someone else to believe God for you. You've got to do that yourself. If you're going to be used by God, you've got to be a person of faith. You've got to have a dream. You've got to set some God-sized goals. You know, what is a goal? A goal is simply a statement of faith. A goal is saying, I'm going to do this thing by this date. That's a goal, but it's a statement of faith when you say that. And the Bible says if your goals are good, you will be respected. And so I want to challenge each of you to just dream some great dreams for God. Let God challenge you. Let God stretch you. Let God give you a God-sized vision for your life. Uh, an awesome question to ask. Ask yourself, what would I attempt for God if I knew I wouldn't fail? 
What would I attempt for God if I knew I wouldn't fail? Let that question expand your way of thinking uh, into ways you've never thought of before. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. God says, you dream the biggest dream that you can dream, and guess what? I can do more than that. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. The the problem is with goal setting, we make two common mistakes. The first mistake we make in setting goals is we set them too low. And the second mistake we make is we try to reach them too quickly. We set them too low, we try to reach them too quickly. We overestimate what we can do in one year. And then when we don't get there, we get discouraged and we give up on it. We underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And so I want to challenge you. Set some big goals. Dream some big dreams for your life. Ask God to give you a great vision of what he wants to do in your life. And then commit the rest of your life to following and fulfilling that dream. Now, when you're seeking God's vision for your life, for your ministry, you need to understand that God often gives us that vision in parts, in stages. You know, He doesn't give us the whole thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. First, God tells you what He's going to do. He says, this is what I'm going to do in your life. And then, what do we do? Well, we run out and we try and do it. We think, okay, God told me what to do, so I'm going to go do it my way. I'm going to try and accomplish it. Usually what happens is we fail. We fall flat on our face, we come crawling back to God, and we say, what happened, God? Did I miss it? Did I not hear what you wanted me to do? And God says, well, yeah, you heard what I wanted you to do, but you didn't wait for the second part of the vision. You didn't wait for how I'm going to do it. Because I've discovered that God often fulfills the vision in a way that is very different from the way I thought he was going to do it. You know, we think God is going to do it the way we want him to do it. But God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God always has a better way to fulfill the vision. A way that brings him more glory. So once you get the what, you've you got to wait for the second part of the vision. You've got to wait for how is he going to do it. Because God's probably not going to do it the way you thought he would do it. And then you still have to wait for the next part of the vision. You've got to wait for when. When is God going to accomplish the vision in your life? God's timing is always perfect. God never shows up early. He's never late. He's always just right on time. And so you have to wait for God's timing to fulfill the vision that he gives you. You've heard me say often that God never wastes a hurt. Well, God also never wastes a wait. The time you spend waiting on God is not wasted time. Now, don't get impatient wait on the Lord because you know, the, the vision it, it doesn't come clearly all at once it's never happened that way in my life the, the vision that God gives me develops over time it's like the old Polaroid Polaroid photos uh, how many of you remember the old Polaroid cameras anybody remember that? oh good this illustration will work some of my illustrations not everybody remembers you know I was uh, at a restaurant this morning with my small group we ate breakfast and and they uh, uh, they had a little nostalgia section there and they had t-shirts uh, about uh, games from the 1980s and I'm thinking what so what's nostalgic about that <laughs> I tend to live in the present okay but uh, but the old Polaroid cameras you know you would take a picture and then you'd pull the thing out, and then you would wait. And you would wait. 
And then eventually you would peel the, the backing off of it and you'd have your picture. But you'd look at the picture and there's no picture there. And so you'd set it down and, and go do some other stuff and come back. And over time, you could see the picture coming clearer and clearer and clearer. That's often the way it is with God's vision. You know, he gives it to you in stages. It becomes clearer uh, the longer you wait on him. So you, you want to spend time with God. You want to listen to God. You want to wait for God. You want to get God's vision for your life clearly. Because you want the what, and you want the how, and you want the when, you want the where, and you want the who. You want the details to come, but don't try, run out and try and do it on your own uh, the way you want to do it. Uh, in fact, it, we need to stop praying, Lord, bless what I'm doing. You know, people often do that. We come up with an idea, we come up with our own vision, and then we run out and we try and do it, and we're just earnestly praying, God, please bless what I'm doing. Bless what I'm. I want to encourage you to stop praying, God, bless what I'm doing, and start praying, God, Help me to do what you're blessing. Because God is doing amazing things in the world around us. And we just need to say, God, help me to figure out what you're blessing, and I want to get in on that. I want to catch that spiritual wave. There's a huge difference between praying, God, I want you to bless what I want to do, versus you saying, God, I want to do what you're blessing. Once you get the clear vision from God, you go to the second key. And that is God uses the person who is willing to risk failure. God uses the person who's willing to risk failure. Acts 15, 26, the Bible says Paul and Barnabas, they risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. And many people in ministry, many believers around the world today are, are required to risk their lives for the gospel. They are people of courage. And we can see people who are willing to take risks. We can see people of courage, and we think, oh, wow, they, they must not have any fear. You, know, you see heroes, you know, the heroes in battle, and think, oh, wow, those are brave guys. They, they, they don't have any fear. No, heroes have fear. People of courage have fear. Everybody has fear. But what makes you a hero, what makes you a person of courage is, is you move ahead in spite of your fear. It's not the absence of fear, it's you move ahead in spite of your fear. And God uses the person, you know what, I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to take the chance. I'm willing to risk failure, willing to risk my reputation, willing to risk looking foolish, willing to risk my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I love the little plaque that says, leadership is the ability to hide your panic. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, God, God uses fearful people who are willing to move ahead in spite of their fears. You know, we, we, we don't like failure. You know, we, we, we kind of like success. In fact, we like success so much, sometimes we try to even, uh, you know, uh, redefine what success is. We'll say, well, you know, God hasn't called me to be successful. He's just called me to be faithful. God hasn't called me to be, he's just called me to be faithful. Well, that's that's really only half true because God not only expects faithfulness he expects fruitfulness and the Bible's clear that God wants us to be fruitful not just faithful in fact uh, you know uh, you risk failure because that's where the fruit is that's where the fruit is in Matthew 25 Jesus tells the story of a master who's going to go on a journey, and so he calls his servants together. And he's got three servants. And to the first servant, he says, while I'm gone, I'm going to give you five talents. And it uses the term talents there that's as a measure of money. But I love the fact that it says talents because the parable's not really about money. 
The, the parable is really about talents and abilities and gifts and opportunities that God gives us. But Jesus told a lot of parables that use money to illustrate a spiritual point. And so it says that the master gave one uh, servant five talents. That's about $5,000. To the other uh, servant, he gave two talents, about $2,000. And to the third servant, he gave one talent. It's about $1,000. And then the master goes on his journey. He comes back and calls the servants in and goes, how'd you do with what I gave you? And the guy who got the five talents says, you know, I took a risk. I invested it. I doubled it. Now I've got, I've got 10 talents. I got $10,000 for you. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The guy was faithful because he was fruitful. And then he says to the second guy, what did you do? He says, you gave me two talents. I took a risk. I doubled it. I, I've got four talents for you. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he turns to the third guy who he gave the one talent to. He says, what did you do? And he says, well, you know, I was really afraid that when you came back, uh, that if I'd lost your money, that you would be mean to me. And I knew you, you're a harsh judge, and, and so I was afraid, and so I just took the money and buried it in a hole in my yard. And so here's your $1,000 back. And the master said to him, you wicked, lazy servant. And then he punishes the guy. And he takes the $1,000 that he's got and he gives it to the guy who's got 10. Why? Why did he punish the guy? Because he was unfaithful. Because he was unfruitful. He was afraid to take a risk and he didn't do anything with it. He said, I'm going to do the safe thing. I'm not going to risk failure. He, he just hid it in the ground. You know, why? It seems harsh. But if you're not taking any risks in life, then you don't need any faith. And if you don't need any faith, then you're being unfaithful. You know, how much faith does it take to hide your talent in a hole in the ground? But God wants us to be both faithful and fruitful by taking risks and trusting God. You know, don't be afraid to climb out on the limb. That's where the fruit is. And Satan's favorite tool is the fear of failure. Satan loves to tell you, oh man, you can't do this. You're not up to the task. This won't work. What will people think if you try this and fail? You're going to look foolish. You just need to play it safe and, and not, not try and do anything. But Proverbs 29.25 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. You know, I start worrying about what other people are going to think. I'm in trouble. I can't let my life be driven by what other people think. If I'm serving Jesus, I've got to live my life for an audience of one. So that one day, I can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So how do I get over the fear of failure? How do I eliminate the fear of failure out of my mind? Well, you do two things. One is, you redefine failure. You redefine failure. Failure is not failing to reach a goal. Failure is not setting a goal. See the difference? Your failure is not failing to see your dream come true. Failing is not having any dreams to begin with. Failure is not trying. Failure is giving up before you give it a go. Everybody falls down. We all make mistakes. We all fail. We all do things that embarrass us. But failure is refusing to get up and try it again. Because you're never a failure until you quit. You're never a failure until you give up, and it's always too soon to give up. 
So if you're discouraged, if you want to give up, I just want to tell you, hang in there. Don't give up. Redefine failure. You haven't failed as long as you're trying. Second thing you want to do is don't compare. Stop comparing yourself to other people. It is foolish to compare yourself to anybody else. You know, don't compare your church, your ministry, your life to any other person. Because when you compare yourself, one of two things happens. Either you find somebody who's doing worse than you, and now you're proud. Or you find somebody who's doing better than you, and now you're discouraged. And either way, whether it's pride or discouragement, either way, you're dead in the water. You know, the Bible's clear. Don't compare yourself to other people. Galatians 6.4 says, each man should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. You know, it's okay to take legitimate pride in, in, in the progress that you're making. I compare myself to myself. Well, you know, I'm making progress on this. I'm giving this a good shot. I'm giving it, giving it the old college try. But the moment I start comparing myself with other people, then I set myself up for a failure. You know, when you set goals, you need to set them not on the basis of what you think you can do, but on the basis of what you think God can do. We set our goals not on, on the basis of who we think we are, but who we think God is. You let the size of your God determine the size of your goal. And you really haven't believed God until you've tried to do something that cannot be done in the power of the flesh. You haven't really believed God until you try to do something where you're bound to fail unless God shows up. Everything happening in your life can be explained by, by your own effort, and by your own power. If there's nothing supernatural going on in your life, well, who gets the glory? But God gets the glory when you attempt to do something that cannot be done in the flesh. You know, I just want to encourage you to, to just live your life in such a way you're bound to fail unless God bails you out. You know, life on the edge. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You've got to take risks. Trust God. Don't fear failure. If what you're attempting is for the glory of God, it's worth the risk. Third, God uses the person who expects to be used. The person who expects to be used. And this, there, there's got to be some balance here. There's got to, got to be realistic and optimistic at the same time. I mean, you, know, you have to be realistic about your situation, realistic about where you live, what your resources are, what the abilities and gifts that you have. You're just realistic about your situation. But then you also have to be optimistic about what God can do. Because God can do things that no one thinks are possible. You know, the, the difference between success and failure in life is it, always attitude. Matthew 9.29 says, according to your faith, it will be done unto you. I love that verse because it says I get to choose. You get to choose. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. I get to choose how much God blesses my life. You get to choose how much God blesses your life because it's according to your faith. And if I have great faith in a great God, God's going to be able to do great things. If I've got a weak faith and I don't really trust God, then God's going to be able to do small things. So as you serve the Lord, you're going to face situations that seem impossible from a human standpoint. It just could never possibly work out the way you want it to work out. Never let an impossible situation intimidate you. 
Don't let the impossible scare you. Let it motivate you. Let it motivate you to pray more, trust more, believe more, work more, serve more, share more, give more than you ever have before. Don't let the impossible intimidate you. You know, Satan loves to tell you you can't do it. You can't do it. But he's a liar. He's the father of lies. When Satan tells you you can't do it, tell him you're a liar. Because the Bible says with God, all things are possible. With God, today's impossible problem is tomorrow's miracle. You know, God works in three phases, impossible, possible, and done. Every time you hear uh, that something's impossible, listen for laughter from heaven. Because that, that, that word is not in God's vocabulary. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. All things are possible with God. God uses the person who expects to be used. Fourth, God uses the person who never gives up. Never gives up. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. And we can't always be looking back. We've got to keep looking forward. Even when we're tired, when we're pressured, when we're criticized, great people are just ordinary people who have an extraordinary amount of determination. The great people are ordinary people who just keep on keeping on. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing well, for we will reap a harvest at the proper time if we do not give up. We'll reap a harvest at the proper time if we do not give up. And so you've got to decide, okay, who's going to win, God or the devil? You don't determine a person's greatness by their talent, wealth, or education. You determine a person's greatness by what it takes to discourage them, by what it takes to get them to quit. And so what does it take to discourage you? One word of criticism, one hiccup, one rough patch, you give up, you throw in the towel. That's a victory for Satan. During World War II, the Prime Minister of England was Winston Churchill, and Nazis were bombing England, and the nation was preparing to go to war with them. Churchill was invited to speak at a very famous uh, men's school. Uh, the graduates were going to be guys who were going to be going into the army and going off to fight in World War II. And the administration told the students, they said, the Prime Minister is coming, he's going to give a very important address, have your paper and pencil ready, uh, this is going to be historic. They all gathered in the chapel, and Churchill walked in, walked up the aisle, stepped up to the podium, said, gentlemen, never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never give up. And then stepped down and walked up the aisle and out the door. One of the most important lessons that we have to learn in serving Jesus Christ is you're never a failure until you quit. And it's always too soon to quit. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. And that brings us to the issue of confidence. How can you have confidence to pursue this great vision that God has for your life? God shows you the what and the how and the when and the where and the who. We've we got to remember... Everything God does in us, for us, through us, to us, everything God does, He does by grace through faith. 
you will never deserve it. Jesus Christ said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, that you should go forth and bear fruit. And you may think, why would God choose me? Why would God choose to use me? He chose to use you because of his grace. It's because of his grace. Grace is the fact that God knows every stupid mistake I'm going to make, and he still chooses to use me. And God knows every stupid mistake you're going to make, and he still chooses to use you. Don't let the devil intimidate you. You know, some of us, you know, we, we've had a sinful past. You know, and you think of your past, and you think of the shame and the guilt that you feel because of it. Do not let the devil intimidate you because of your past. You know, when, when he reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. You know, there's going to come a day where he's going to be uh, destroyed and banished to hell. But God uses ordinary people. If God only used perfect people, nothing would get done because there aren't any. There aren't, we are all he's got. And because of his grace, he chooses to use us. By grace, through faith. And I can't overemphasize the importance of faith in your life. You know, grace is God's part, faith is ours. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. What's God doing in your life? You know, without ever having a conversation with you about it, I can tell you exactly what God's doing. God is doing what you expect him to do. Nothing more, nothing less. God uses us by grace through faith. And when we put faith in his grace, he's able to use us. We limit God so much by our unbelief. You know, in scripture, every time God moved out of heaven and did a miracle on earth, it's because somebody believed. Somebody believed. Now, there are factors in your life that you do not have any control over. Those are the sovereignty factors. You know, you, you didn't get to choose when and where you would be born. You didn't get to choose who your parents would be. You didn't get to choose your physical attributes. You didn't get to choose your natural talents and gifts and abilities. You didn't get to choose your spiritual gift. Those are things that were sovereignly given to you by the God who created you and put you together. And you don't have any control over that. But there's one thing you do have control over. And that is how much you choose to believe God. You control how much you choose to believe God. That's your choice. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for people to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. That verse says God is looking for people to use. God is looking for people to show himself strong on their behalf. If you get usable, God will use you up. If you get usable, God will use you in a great way for his glory. Acts 13.36 says God, David served God's purpose in his generation. And then he died. And I hope that's what people say about me. I hope they say, you know, Kelly served God's purpose in his generation. And then he died. I mean, I'm fine with that. If I live my purpose, I don't want to stick around here. You know, I hope that's what people say about you, that you served God's purpose in your generation. 
Dream great dreams for God. Be willing to take risks. Expect God to use you. And then never give up. Let's pray together. You may have come here today ready to give up. You have been trying and trying and you failed and you failed. And I believe in all my heart because I've been there that God has brought you here today to say to you don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. And God wants you to place your faith and trust in him, and God wants you to stay the course. And God promise, God promises us that we will reap a harvest in the proper time if we don't give up. God, thank you for the possibility that you would use us. God, I pray you'll help each of us to become the type of person that you can use so that we can accomplish great things for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.